Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, where we have our message for this evening. Um, we'll be looking at uh, John chapter, th- chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. However, uh, I will start reading from John chapter 2, verse 23, for the sake of context. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word, starting at John chapter 2, verse 23. Hear now the word of God. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What if you were given a uh, 30-minute interview with Jesus in person? What questions would you ask him? What would you say? At one point in the 1990s, a, a youth group leader in church thought it'd be a good idea to put question, what would Jesus do? Right, And you see this in bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? It was a subtitle from a book entitled, In His Steps. And so in our passage this evening, we'll look at a man named Nicodemus who had a chance to make that interview. But you see, Jesus was no ordinary person. Because Jesus is the God-man who knows all things. He is God who became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1, 14. 
And so little did Nicodemus know that this interview would not only be life-changing, but life-giving. Unlike today's self-help talks, Jesus is our divine speaker. He reveals our ultimate need and how we receive it. Because we desperately need, what we desperately need is spiritual renewal and new birth from death to life. And who can provide that? But only Jesus, by the power of his spirit. And so in a nutshell, this passage reveals to us that since Jesus is the hope of new life for those who believe in him, we are to respond in true faith. And so I want us to think about um, three things for this evening. The need for new life, the source of new life, and the hope of new life. The need, the source, and the hope. The need for new life unfolds for us when the gospel writer introduces Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus in the secrecy of night, perhaps not to be seen. Nicodemus is described in verse 1 as a man of the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. The first description helps us understand that Nicodemus was associated with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees developed a reputation among the Jews to be rigorous law keepers. They applied the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the Torah. But oftentimes, they argued not from scripture alone, but scripture plus tradition, their own tradition. And so Nicodemus was well-versed both in this conviction and practice. In fact, he did so well that he was considered an elite among them. That's why, secondly, he is described as a ruler of the Jews. And this guy was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a group composed of religious um, officials, Israel's religious officials. And we could consider him kind of like this poster boy for Israel, That's why in verse 10, Jesus calls him by what he is known for, a teacher of Israel. And so what's the religious, and so what's this religious uh, elite hanging out with a small town man, Jesus of Nazareth? Well, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in chapter 2 had already performed many miracles, right? He uh, changed water into wine, followed by this, uh, this scene where, where he expressed his zeal um, for God's house, and he did this uh, temple cleansing. And so all this publicity is enough for anyone to be curious about Jesus. In fact, many were already claiming to believe in his name in chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus is obviously not your average Joe. And so Nicodemus just had to hear for himself who this person is. Who is Jesus? He comes to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice how Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is this uh, godly teacher who performs godly signs, who is near to God. And so it's like Nicodemus comes to Jesus saying, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, let's talk theology. 
Because we, the Pharisees, know who you are. But do they really? Jesus answered him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. What happened there? Jesus said, Jesus said that because he was targeting the heart of the matter. It's like telling Nicodemus, you think you know who I am, but let me tell you what you need to be. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice how Jesus changes the topic from himself to Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus, you don't know me, but I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know everything about you. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 23 to 24, we know that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he himself knows what was in man. And so, beloved, if we're honest with ourselves, we're no better than Nicodemus. Because we may come to God not knowing what he knows, but in fact, he knows our hearts better than we do. And at the same time, he knows what our hearts desperately need. That's why Jesus tells us we need to be born again. Otherwise, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice how Jesus says, truly, truly, in verse 3. This double emphasis underlines that gravity, the gravity of his word, that to be born again is non-negotiable. Another way the word born again can be translated is to be born from above. And where is that above? Where is it? It's in heaven. We must be born from heaven. And so this is the essence of the new birth. It's not a physical rebirth that we need, but a spiritual rebirth. And why do we need this? Because the Bible tells us that apart from the new birth, we remain in spiritual darkness. And so to understand spiritual darkness requires an understanding of our own sin. Sin is the problem. We're made sinners through Adam's, Romans chapter 5, 19. We're all conceived in sin, Psalm 51, 5. And what's worse is that we're spiritually dead in sin, Ephesians chapter 2, 8. Our whole being, which involves the mind, the heart, and the will, is utterly corrupt. And that's the truth, brothers and sisters. But the truth is not easy. Because many will try to convince you that it isn't true. That sin, is ne- that sin never leads to death. And that the remedy for our sinful condition is to be a moral person. To trust yourself. And have it your way so that you can reach your full potential. And then in the end, God will accept your best efforts. But this is false teaching. Because your good works will never save you. Because even our best works are like filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6. Filthy rags that come from filthy hearts. And you may certainly perform well on the outside, but your soul remains dead in the inside. 
This is what all of us have to realize, that apart from the new birth, we're dead. We are spiritually dead. And Nicodemus and his best efforts could never save him. And so in the same way, our best works can never save us. Our catechism warns us, sin committed against the supreme majesty, which is God, must be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment, body and soul. And so God is the judge. And so to stand before him in our guilt and sin is to be subject to his holy wrath. Because God, by nature, is holy. And if our Lord is holy, then his kingdom is holy. This is why a dead man can never see nor enter the kingdom of God. So it's like early stage cancer, right? If your doctor treats you with Tylenol, um, it doesn't really address the issue, does it? You may numb the pain for a short time, but the cancer is still there. And so wouldn't you want to treat the cancer? I mean, I know I would. But you know that you don't have much time because the cancer will spread and then you will ultimately die. And so how much more for the cancer of sin? Not only does it lead to death, but it is your death. You know, as a hospice nurse, part of my job is to provide um, medicinal comfort for patients to die comfortably. And I'm usually uh, the last person to hear someone's heartbeat and then pronounce their death. And then in, in that moment of silence, there's nothing you could do to bring a person back to life. There's no heartbeat. There's no breath sound. The person is dead. And in the same way, there's nothing you can do to bring yourself to spiritual life. But you know what, brothers and sisters? There is good news. And that good news um, God gives us and he doesn't leave us without a cure. And that cure is Jesus who reveals our ultimate need, our need to be born again from heaven and to be spiritually renewed to something better that we could ever hope and that we could ever imagine. And so how does Nicodemus respond to the need to be born again? Well, if you look in verse 4, he appears confused. He asked Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See that? Notice his confusion. He thought that Jesus was saying that to see the kingdom of God is to be physically born a second time. It's absurd for us to think that way, isn't it? But is Jesus absurd? No. Remember the word born again in the Greek. It could also mean born from above. And so it's not the physical birth that Jesus was talking about, but the spiritual birth. The spiritual birth. And so in verses 5 to 8, Jesus responds not only by pressing the need for new life, but showing the source of new life. Where is the source of new life, and where does it happen? Well, it happens in verse 5. By being born of water and the Spirit which means the new birth is spiritual in origin and it involves water. 
And what does water do? Right? It makes us clean. You know, when my daughter, Sophia, um, when she turned two, there were days she didn't want to take a bath. But eventually, the more we instilled um, regular bath time, the more she learned the need to be clean, right? And like my parents who taught me uh, uh, that if you didn't take a bath, you remain dirty. And since we all know better to be washed on the outside, how much more do you need to be washed in the inside? And that's what God does. He washes us, or he washes you and I by cleaning out your old heart and replacing it with a new heart. And he promised that in Ezekiel chapter 36 where God cleanses the sinner with water. And he promises to give the sinner a new heart. A new heart, a new spirit, by removing that heart of stone and replacing with a heart of flesh. So do you see that? That's why Jesus is showing Nicodemus the clear distinction in verse 6 between that which is born of flesh is flesh, which is the natural birth, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now we shouldn't think flesh here to mean the, what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans chapter 8 as in sinful flesh, but rather a clear distinction between what is physical and what is spiritual. If, mother, if your mother gave birth to you physically, then you are 100% born physically. On the other hand, if, you get, if the Spirit gives you birth spiritually, then you are 100% born spiritually, right? And so Jesus is not crazy. He speaks the truth. He not only tells us what we must be, but he also tells us how we must be. And this is why he's pressing Nicodemus in verse 7, you shouldn't marvel. It shouldn't surprise you. Everything that I'm saying to you, because I'm telling you, this is what you need. You must be born again. And if that still doesn't make sense, let me tell you something about the wind. In verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you see that? And let me just tell you, Jesus is this master teacher that I don't have to illustrate for you um, how the Holy Spirit works, right? Jesus says it's like wind. You go out, look at the trees. We see the leaves and the branches move because of the wind. And we may hear the wind, we may feel the wind, right? but we'll never see the wind. But we know it's there because we see what the wind does to the tree. We see its effect. Just like the Spirit who works in our hearts. Just because you don't see the Spirit doesn't mean it's not real. It's very real because the Spirit does something in you and puts something there that was never there before. And so how is it possible for a Christian who was once self-righteous but now humble, who was once angry, but is now peaceful, once hostile to Jesus, but now loves Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit. But 
People today attribute transformations to self-improvement or to some kind of generic higher power that helps those who help themselves. But dearly beloved, you are different. Not because you have blind faith, but because you have a living faith. You didn't see it coming, but you know it's there because things are different now. The old has gone and the new has come. And then since you placed your trust in Christ alone, the Spirit created you to be a new person, no longer subject to death, but made alive to a new life. And so at this point of the dialogue, we've seen how Jesus has revealed to Nicodemus his need for new life the source of new life, which is the Spirit. And now he reveals the hope of new life. But has Nicodemus treasured this in his heart, the things that have been said so far? We might think that such a man of his stature would finally embrace what he's just heard, right? But what's his response? He says in verse 9, How can these things be? And Jesus responds, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? It's like Jesus telling him, aren't you this reverend professor doctor of theology? I mean, that's what you're supposed to know. You're supposed to know these things. If you're the teacher of Israel, you should have known these things from your Old Testament. You should have known passages like Ezekiel chapter 36 or Ezekiel chapter 37 the valley of dry bones, wherein God causes his spirit to enter dry bones, causing flesh, skin, and breath so so that you live and know that I am the Lord. That's what he should have known. And so we want to look at Nicodemus and ask, what is his problem? Is it merely a problem of ignorance? Or is it a problem of the heart? Jesus has been clear. You must be born from heaven. You must be spiritually washed by the Spirit. This perhaps goes against the grain of his entire works-based righteousness. Because now it's not Nicodemus' work or his cooperation with God that saves him, but God alone that can save him. But the question is for us, why do we keep finding ourselves attracted to performance in order to be right with God? It's because of our sin. It's because of our self-righteous pride. And so it's not merely ignorance which is the problem, but the unwillingness of the heart to believe. Jesus says in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things. Notice to whom Jesus directs this rebuke in verses 11 to 12. Jesus not only rebukes Nicodemus, but he also rebukes Israel as a whole. It's not obvious in our English translations, but in the Greek, Jesus switches the pronoun you from the singular to the plural. And we could translate it, truly, truly, I say to you all, but you all do not receive and you all do not believe. Why can Jesus say this? Because Jesus knows the heart. He knows our hearts the same way he knows theirs. And so Jesus leaves no stone unturned. God desires the heart 
of true faith. Jesus tells Nicodemus that these are earthly truths, particularly the new birth. And one theologian, D.A. Carson, commented on this. If Nicodemus stumbles over this elementary point of entry, how much more the things regarding the details of the kingdom? And so the need for the new birth and the source of the new birth is is basic yet very important. But that's not all. Because knowing the need and the source wouldn't hold ground without hope. And that hope, brothers and sisters, is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. In verse 13, says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Do you see that? That's why you and I can trust in his revelation, not only because Jesus stoops down from heaven to reveal the truth, but as one commentator rightly puts it, heaven was his home in the first place. And therefore, he has inherently the fullness of heavenly knowledge. And if there's one more truth that Jesus wanted to reveal, um, it's to go back to Israel's tragic past. And what better way to do that than to bring him back to the day Israel can never forget? In verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So, in in what connection is Jesus drawing here? Well, if you remember in Numbers 29, the Israelites spoke out against God and Moses complaining, why did you bring us out from Egypt? We have no food, we have no water, and we detest this worthless bread. And so, what happened? Well, Yahweh sent fiery serpents that brought instant death, and many people died that day. And so this is a matter of life and death. There weren't, many, there weren't any paramedics to call, and so their only lifeline was to call upon the mercy of God. And when Moses prayed on their behalf, Yahweh told Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten, when he sees it, it shall live. And you know, when they saw it, they actually lived. Not because of anything inherent in their looking up to the bronze serpent, but because the Lord who granted life. It is the Lord who was merciful to them. And so physical life that God granted to them through that object of hope. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, do you see that? Just as their physical life depended upon God's grace through the bronze serpent, so shall your spiritual life depend upon the Son of Man who must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And so Jesus is the object of our hope. For Jesus to be lifted up on the cross meant His death for our sins. But at the same time, it meant His victory. Because as He he was lifted up in glory, He was exalted at the right hand of the Father, sending his spirit to give us new life. And so, perhaps Nicodemus took some time to ponder upon what he's just heard. Because later in the gospel, we see a glimpse of true faith. When Jesus was lifted up and taken down, we see in John chapter 19, Nicodemus is with Joseph of Arimathea, and they honored Jesus. 
They carefully gave him a proper burial and then bounded his body in linen and spices, which is customary in the Jewish burial. And perhaps, as we think about this, this reflected their devotion and faith to the one who is the hope of eternal life. And so, in conclusion, we must ask ourselves, what is your hope this evening? Where are you placing your trust? Well, God has the answer because he invites you to look to Jesus. That right now, if you are believing, trusting, and resting in Jesus, you have new life in him. That as new creatures born from above, you no longer live in spiritual darkness, but live in the newness of life. And so, brothers and sisters, the old is gone and the new has come. So I want to encourage you, may you find comfort and hope and peace in your only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our merciful God, who is pleased to condescend to speak to us through your word, grant us all grace that you may not be mere that we may not be mere hearers of your word but doers also give us the grace of your holy spirit that we may believe what has been proclaimed to us may we bring glory and honor to your name in all that we do and as you conform us to the image of your son jesus christ our lord all of this gracious father we ask in the name of jesus christ amen